welcome to the Coffee House Questions podcast. This is Ryan Polly. Uh, joining me today, I have Dr. Sean McDowell. Uh, Sean, thanks for coming on. Ryan, thanks for having me, buddy. I appreciate it. Uh, for those of you who don't know Sean, uh, Sean is the assistant professor of Christian apologetics program here at Biola University. He's also the resident scholar for Summit California, and that's where I've been able to talk with him over the last few weeks and uh, spent two days doing youth, uh, two decades, not two days, <laughs> <laughs> two decades uh, doing youth apologetics, speaking, speaking, teaching, writing, and is the author, co-author, editor of over 18 books. That's incredible. Well, thanks. I, I love it, and, uh, and it's fun, and God's opened up some, some amazing doors for me, so students desperately need apologetic training. If I can play a little role in that, I'm, I'm happy to do it. That's awesome. So um, what we want to talk about today is kind of why you think teaching apologetics to youth is critical, but kind of to start off, what got you into youth apologetics? Well, undoubtedly, my parents, my father in particular, had an influence on me. I saw my dad's passion for truth, his ministry in apologetics, we would have conversations all the time growing up. He'd ask us questions that were apologetic-related. Um, and also seeing his, his just passion and desire for students rubbed off on me. And then probably on top of that, really a lot of my own questions as I got into, really, Biola, about a 19-year-old, starting to ask questions of owning my own faith. I had some tough questions about God and the Bible and other religions, I started to realize that other students are really asking the same questions, and if I want to have an impact on the next generation, one of the most helpful things I can do is just help walk them through some of these tough questions. Yeah. So I think I just it's a combination of my parents, but also just my own questions that I've asked, and spending time with students. I mean, you spend five minutes with students, and there's meaningful time. They're asking real apologetic-related questions. Yeah, absolutely. What, so what is it that kind of keeps you going? You know, two decades, 18 books, that's a lot of work. I mean, yeah. <laughs> writing a book is not easy. What kind of keeps that motivation there? You know, I love basketball, and I didn't choose to love basketball. I just love it. And the same is true with this. It's interesting to me. It's fun. There's always new challenges. I'm just, I, I love it. There's kind of a deep sense of like, this is, this is important, and this matters, and it's interesting. I'm just wired that way. Yeah. But also, I think the stories that I hear from students is what keeps me going. I don't do this so much anymore, but my first five or seven years of teaching full-time, I kept a manila notebook. And any time I got an email, Facebook page, a letter from a student, I would copy it off and I would stick it in there. Hmm. And times that I was discouraged, I would pull it out and be reminded, oh, this is making a difference in students' lives. Yeah. So I think it's the stories and the, the positive impact in students' lives that keeps me going. That's incredible. So, um, you know, I think that's one reason you see it's important, just this positive impact. And so one of these reasons that you give for why teaching apologetics to students is so critical is that you say apologetics gives students confidence. What do you see when they don't have apologetics? Yeah. What, how, does that, how does it build confidence? So one of my favorite presentations to do at churches and camps, and you've seen me do this, Ryan, is I put glasses on and become an atheist. My atheist encounter is what I call it. And what inevitably happens, I've done this with tens of thousands of students, if not more, and leaders and parents and pastors, is once they, I, I role play an atheist and then I allow them to ask me questions and I kind of shoot down their challenges. Well, 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes into this, students start getting frustrated and upset and angry and really sometimes hostile and defensive. And when I come out of character, I pull my glasses off, I'll ask them, I'll say, why do you think so many of you got defensive and angry? 
And I'll say, I think the reason is because maybe you don't really know what you believe and why you believe it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe you haven't really thought through why you think the Bible's true or God allows evil or how Jesus is the only way or evolution, intelligent design. So when I start pressing back, you get defensive. So I, on the flip side, when students do know what they believe and why, like we've taken them on these apologetic mission trips or done training in my class, there's a willingness to have conversations with other people because, oh, if they ask a tough question, even if I don't have the answer, I know somebody does, and I might even have the answer. So if you want students to be confident in their faith and not get defensive and angry, they need to know a little bit of what they believe and why they believe it. Yeah. When I remember the first time I took you guys' idea for the atheist role play, and I did it at a youth group, and the first reason that I gave for why I was an and they didn't know I was a Christian. Oh, the good, youth pastor good. introduced me as an atheist. They thought I was an atheist. In fact, during the prayer, we had a meal beforehand, and they were watching me to see if I would close my eyes during the prayer and stuff, <laughs> <laughs> and how I was going to react. That's awesome. But the first reason I gave for why I was an atheist, a girl immediately kind of put her hand up, and I called on her, and they had covered it the week before in their in their lesson. And she goes, well, the reason why you say this, and she explained it perfectly, and I quickly kind of went, well, you know, but this, here's another thing, and I just jumped to another, <laughs> and I kind of, you know, changed the topic, get yeah. out of that, you know, kind of try and flip the, you know, get out of the hot seat, and brought up other reasons that they hadn't covered, and then it really kind of took them back, and they didn't know how to, mm. so it was fascinating seeing that they had covered one, you know, question yep. the week before, and very confidently, quickly, hey, here's the response, here's why that's different, and so I found that fascinating. Well, it's, it's important for students to know that atheists don't just believe five things. And if you can answer these five things, then <laughs> you can stump an atheist. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. There's atheists for all sorts of different reasons, lots of questions. Now, at this stage, 20 years in, I don't hear a ton of new questions. Like, the older I get, the lesser and lesser new challenges I hear, although there's always something new. But I know that there's an answer to it, and I know how to find it. So when our students realize, okay, there's some smart people that are atheists, and they're not just the bad guys. Here's how you approach atheism. Here's how you find an answer, even if you don't have the answer. And here's how you just ask good questions. It gives students a confidence and a willingness to engage people and even just have meaningful conversations. Yeah. Yeah, and you just posted a a blog post this last week on why Christians get defensive and kind of brought up the atheist role play thing. And you said that's one of the reasons why you wrote your new book, A New Kind of Apologist. What was kind of the thought behind that new book that, you, that just came out? Well, a couple thoughts. One was to try to put just a different spin, I think more balanced and healthy kind of approach to what apologetics is within the wider church. There's a lot of people that write off apologetics and don't read it and don't care about it for different reasons. And I'm kind of saying, no, maybe you've misunderstood what apologetics is. There's a way we can do apologetics that is gracious and kind and fitting with the way Jesus and Paul and others in the Bible do it. Second, it was to call Christians back to say, okay, wait a minute, we need to really think through how we do apologetics today. Are we doing it relationally? Are we doing it with kindness? And then also, how do we approach issues like the transgender issue? How does apologetics intersect with race and with economics, which are huge issues right now? So trying to just take this the, the important role apologetics is and move the ball forward a little bit in terms of the way and the issues that we do apologetics today. Yeah. And you've kind of mentioned, too, that, you know, you said uh, that you've encountered, um, you know, that it's difficult or you haven't seen many Christians that are able to engage an atheist in a thoughtful, gracious way. Sadly, that's the case. I mean, we will have, I'll tell you what often happens, and I've role-played a ton. Pretty quickly, people punt to experience. Well, I had this experience. 
pretty quickly people punt to Pascal's wager and just say, well, what if you're wrong? And then some people just kind of start calling me names and going <laughs> after me personally. Yeah. That, that's most of it. Now, a lot of people remain silent. Maybe it's those who are more vocal who speak up and represent the whole. But I'm just telling you, rarely is it somebody who just raises their hand and with confidence and kindness asks a pointed, thoughtful question that gets to the heart of the issue. Occasionally, we'll have that. But in my experience, that's the exception. And so I think one thing that you mentioned right there is, and we've talked a lot about in the last two weeks with these students at Summit, is asking good questions. And kind of some of that confidence, if you're in this conversation and you don't know the answer, just asking really good, thoughtful questions to learn more about that person just helps build that confidence. Would you agree with that? Ryan, I'm becoming convinced more and more. The older I get, and I turned 40 this year, so hopefully I've still got a ways to go, yeah. <laughs> that questions are almost always better than an answer. Yeah. Jesus asked a ton of questions, and he obviously knew the answer. Questions help reveal somebody's presuppositions, things that they're assuming to the case that they're not defending. It helps clarify exactly what question are you asking. So when someone asks you about evil and suffering, it could be that they're asking about the intellectual problem or that they have a personal suffering, and how you answer those is very different. Yeah. Questions also keep the burden of proof on the other person instead of me. So I can be in a thoughtful conversation with somebody who's an expert in like economics or something outside of my field, but if I listen carefully and I ask good questions, I can learn something. And if that person says something that doesn't seem right, I'll just say, okay, wait a minute, you said these couple things. Can you tell me what you mean by this? Not to catch them in a trap and just prove them wrong, but to understand and ultimately surface some of the tensions that happen when somebody adopts a worldview that's not a biblical worldview. So I'm persuaded that questions are possibly the most powerful questions and stories, yeah. the most powerful tools that apologists greatly underuse. Yeah. And I think that is something that needs to be made very clear in that saying, well, teaching apologetics to students gives them confidence. And it's not so that they know all these answers and that they can go slam people with answers. Exactly. But really that they're not scared or you know, taken back when someone brings up an objection, but then they can thoughtfully, respectfully respond with questions and and talk about these different issues. Yeah, the purpose of apologetics is not to go out and get in arguments with people. Yeah. Now, Jesus did make arguments, but he wasn't argumentative. I think it just gives a kid a confidence that, wow, I can talk with a Buddhist and ask him questions and maybe advance the ball a little bit and learn something. Yeah, awesome. Well, the second point that you make and uh, why just teaching apologetics to students is so critical is that apologetics helps students to hold on to their faith. Mm. And uh, I mentioned in, in previously, and I've read the book, You Lost Me, where they kind of go, go through some of the reasons why students leave their faith. Um, can you kind of explain what some of those reasons might be and, and why apologetics will ha can help? Yeah, I, sometimes apologists have a tendency to overstate the role of apologetics in a kid losing his or her faith or holding on to their faith. Because we love reason and evidence and study and argumentation, we tend to think if a kid loses their faith, if they just had one more argument, they could have done so. In fact, I, I'll tell you, I heard a, a story of a, of a young man, and I'm going to change some of the details just to protect the person, but this person's father was an apologist and uh, decently well-known, and this kid left the faith and heard an apologist say, man, if we just had better arguments, that kid would have stayed. Hmm. But I know that father very argumentative, not relational with this kid, emotionally distant. And I frankly know apologetics had very little to do with it. Hmm. My dad is often taught, he said, son, it's truth in the context of relationships. Yeah. 
So for kids to hang on to their faith, there has to be healthy relationships with God, with other people, with adults, but they also need truth. Both of them have to be there. I've had a ton of apologetic conversations with kids. They're stuck on the problem of evil, yet I get back to the heart of it. I realize that there's something bigger going on. In fact, just yesterday I had a conversation with a student who was like, how can I, you know, talking about different religions and the Bible and all these things, and eventually when the conversation was done, it essentially was that he didn't want to live Christianly because he's already signed up to be in a fraternity in the fall and wants to party. Oh, yeah. And I said to him, I was like, look, you know that is true. You have no real apologetic answers, but your heart is made up, right? And he's like, yeah, I think I've made my heart up. I'll come back to Jesus later. So we apologists can forget that there's emotional issues, there's moral issues, there's volitional issues under it. Now, with that said, when you look at You Lost Me, which you cited by David Kinnaman, he gives six reasons why um, young people abandon the church, not just their faith. Yeah. And three of them had to do with an apologetic-related topic, the relationship between science and faith, the nature of doubt, and, and one other one that kind of fit that. So apologetics is very, very important. Mm -hmm. But there's more to it than just solving these intellectual challenges that kids had. I'm just saying this because I know your listeners are probably apologists, and we have been guilty of overstating the role of apologetics. I think the rest of the church understates it, but we ought to have a proper balance and say apologetics is critical. Yeah. If we don't train a kid in apologetics, there's a good chance they'll walk away when they're challenged at the university. But we also got to realize there's a lot of other things that can be going on in a kid's heart and mind along with apologetics itself. Yeah. Yeah, and I think one thing you mentioned with the problem of evil is this morning you were talking with the summit students, and you and you mentioned when someone asks you why does God allow evil, you have one question that you always respond back with. What's that question? I'll just simply say of all the questions you can ask God about God, why ask that question? Hmm. And the reason I ask that is because if someone says, "Oh, I was watching Batman, and in Batman versus Superman, Lex Luthor says, how can God be all powerful and all good and allow evil?" Then you know it's an intellectual question. More often than not, what has happened is someone will say, well, my sister's sick with cancer. Well, actually, I was kind of bullied at school. Well, my parents are divorced. Then you know they're not asking the question you see in Batman. This is a personal, existential question. What's interesting, there was an article in the Atlantic Monthly maybe a year or two ago, and it was on learning from like young atheists or skeptics, and they interviewed a ton of skeptics who walked away. And almost all of them had walked away from religion, particularly Christianity. Almost all of them described that it happened at a moment where there was emotional hurt. Hmm. Yeah. And one girl said something about when my father died, that was the day I stopped believing in God. Man, if we think we just need to give her a better argument and to clarify the second premise of the cosmological argument, we are missing exactly what this girl is really wrestling with. Absolutely. Yeah, so there is the pastoral response, the intellectual response. We have to know when each one is necessary. That's right. Awesome. All right, well, the third reason uh, that you give for why teaching apologetics to students is critical is that students have genuine apologetic-related questions. And I think uh, this has become very clear being here at Summit the last two weeks. And uh, every day we have an open forum where there's just an hour of time for students to just sit down with one of the speakers, ask questions. At the end of most of the lectures, there's a Q&A time. Mm -hmm. um, do you find that students really do have these genuine questions? And, and do you think that they're being answered kind of outside of a summit place? Or So I think students have sophisticated, thoughtful questions at summit because they're here having these conversations, they're listening to lectures, so it surfaces some of the deeper questions that yeah. they have. 
It's not like if you say, I'm going to go sit down with students and have a question answer for an hour, you would get the level of sophisticated questions that you get at Summit. Okay. And I think what that tells us is in the right relationship at the right time, that students do have these kind of buried down questions that will come to the surface if we give them the context and the ability and the motivation to deal with those questions. Mm -hmm. So I don't think most students are walking around going, gosh, the Bible says there's one God, yet Jesus claims to be God. How do I reconcile that with the historical doctrine of the Trinity? Or they're not asking, you know, how do I make sense of intelligent design of the bacterial flagellum? I mean, they're not asking those primary questions. But if something happens in culture, there's something that happens uh, relationally in their life, if something comes up, like a professor raises a challenge, or if there's just an adult who's taken the time to invest that relationship and challenge the students lovingly in this way, then I think those latent questions come to the surface because they're human beings and they want to make sense of the world. So the bottom line is they're not walking around thinking about reconciling these tough answers. They're thinking about getting my grades done and who's my friend and going to prom and getting my driver's license. Mm. But in the right context, they absolutely have apologetic questions yeah. that need answering. And so we just need to, would you try to encourage people to try and get into that context at different times um, or find ways to, you know, because I think we can allow students to continue living, not thinking about that stuff, but at times it's important to think about and realize that these issues might come up in the future. Or... Yeah, so there's, so sometimes what will happen, I've seen some, you know, people who work with students do this, is they'll feel like my students aren't asking these apologetic questions, so I don't need to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And my response is, if you'd take them deeper and you'd give them the context, you better believe they would be asking these tougher questions. So one, one philosophy that people have is find a felt need and meet it. That's a ministry philosophy. My dad has always said to me, he goes, don't find a felt need and meet it. Take a real need and make it felt. Wow. So kids have a need for truth. Yeah. They need to know the scriptures are true. They need to know that God designed the world. That might not be the first question they're asking, but I'm going to find a way to show that interest and bubble up why those questions are so important, help them realize it, and then I think those questions often come alive in the minds of students. Yeah. And you say, would you say that the atheist role play is one way that you kind of help students realize the need that they do have? That's the best way I know. Yeah. I guarantee you, whenever I do that, students are motivated and they're asking questions yeah. and they're into it. That's the, probably the best one that I know of. Awesome. Alrighty, well the fourth reason um, that you give for why students need apologetics and why it's crucial is that everyone is an apologist anyways. Mm. What do you mean by everyone is an apologist? Yeah, so I was just reading a book by Os Guinness and um, Fool's Talk, and the title of it is he said, he said a lot of people downplay apologetics. He said, but we live in a golden age of apologetics. He said, we live in an era where everybody's selling something. People get on Facebook, what are they doing? They're selling a presentation of themselves to the world that my life is great and I'm funny and I'm popular. I mean, people get on social media and we are constantly selling ourselves, whether we want to admit it or not as a culture, we're all arguing for something. So we just live in a culture, we might not use the term apologist, people might not understand what we mean by apologetics, but people are regularly thinking, how do I position myself? How do I sell myself? How do I get this idea across, whether, whether they realize it or not? So Os Guinness is saying, we just need to tap in and help people realize, look, you're already selling yourself. You're already giving ideas. We're already competing for attention and competing for ideas. Let's compete for the right ideas 
And so I think the point is just to tap into what people are already doing and then help them use that for for good and for the kingdom and ultimately the way that Jesus calls us to use it. Yeah. Yeah, and I've heard someone else say kind of a similar thing, and I don't remember who it was, but kind of, you know, everyone is, you know, a theologian. The question is, are you a good one or a bad one? In the same way, you know, right. I think they said everyone's apologist. Are you a good one or are you a bad one? I think everyone, you know, if you're, you're a Christian, you, you find yourself in discussions about Christianity, and you might get to tell them why you're a Christian, and that's doing apologetics, giving a reason for why you are. So, you know, why are you a good one? Are you a bad one? Are you able to do it well? I think that's right. It was C.S. Lewis who said, everybody's an apologist. The question is, like you said, Ryan, are you a good one or, or are you not a good one? And what's interesting is biblically, we're not all called to be teachers. We're not all called to, you know, given the gift of same mercy or, you know, one of the other spiritual gifts. But apologists, being an apologist is never listed as a spiritual gift. Why do you are, think so? I think because we're all called to be ready with an answer. Hmm. It's a universal. Now, there is a gift of evangelism, even though we're all called to evangelize at times, there's a unique gift to it. Mm -hmm. So there's certainly some people like you and I that tend to gravitate more towards apologetics. It's interesting. We love it. We want to do it. But as a whole, everybody is to be called to be ready with an answer. First Peter 3, 15. Yeah. Awesome. All right, and so then the last reason uh, that you give why teaching apologetics to students is crucial is that you say that students need to see that Christianity is objectively true. Um, what would you, what would kind of your short answer be to show someone or help explain that, you know, religious claims are not just matters of personal preference? Yeah, I would show that there's an intersection between religious claims and the objective world. So we tend to, I think our secular culture says your religion is fine as so long as it's in the privacy of your church mm -hmm. and it just affects the way you live with your family, but it certainly can't affect how you run a bakery or now it can affect how you run a pharmacy, the recent ruling in Washington, your religion is to be kept private and should not influence the way we think about government and sports and entertainment and the rest of the culture. So we look at things like science and history and math as delivering objective truth because there's knowledge in those disciplines. But religion is in this private, personal realm that gives me meaning, gives me value, helps me cope with pain, and makes me be part of a community. So when I want to show students, I want to say, look, you cannot take the things that Jesus taught and Paul taught and you see in the Old Testament and assume that they're just private. There's an intersection with history. Mm -hmm. Either Jesus rose from the grave or he didn't. Either there was an exodus or there wasn't. There's an intersection arguably with science. Either the universe had a beginning or the universe didn't. There's an intersection with psychology. Either humans are naturally good, like psychology thinks, or actually like the Bible teaches, we're naturally corrupt. What you conclude about human nature has implications for these different disciplines. So I just try to draw out with students and help them realize, I mean, this is partly what makes Christianity unique, that 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus is not risen, your faith is in vain. Yeah. So our spiritual faith rests upon these actual, testable, historical events. Now, I think in Christian schools we, and in churches, we foster this divide without even realizing it. So when I first started teaching, it was interesting that they wanted me to teach some board members, a little bit of a separate issue. They wanted me to say, why don't you just in Bible class just share stories, have students journal, and I want students to just love being in Bible class. 
I said, so basically what you're telling me is students go to math and they gain knowledge and they get tested on it. Students go to history, go to every other class, and they actually get knowledge. You want them to come to Bible class and just share their feelings? Do you realize what they're telling them? Yeah. You're basically telling these kids it's not objectively true. And there's no knowledge to be gained. Or and there's no knowledge to be gained. So we do this in ways we don't even realize, with good intentions, but blindly. That kid goes out and they learn, wait, Darwinian evolution means you're not uniquely made in God's image. Mm -hmm. They study, there's problems with the Bible. It's not textually accurate. Well, you think this heartfelt faith without any knowledge is going to stand up firm when they hear those challenges? No chance. Mm -hmm. Especially when they can find feelings in other places. <laughs> That's exactly right. And then Christianity costs you something. Yeah. Especially in college. Why well, I can't party. i got to get up Sunday and go to church. It actually feels better not to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, it's fascinating. Just in my interaction with students as well, of just, you know, sitting down and teaching a, you know, basic class in kind of systematic theology, and they're like, I've never known this stuff before. Hmm. You know, and these are high schoolers. And I'm not saying that everyone, you know, has a deep understanding of the doctrine of the Trinity or doctrine of Revelation or anything, but, you know, when, when they're learning this stuff, sometimes for the very first time, they've never even heard of it. It's kind of, yeah, what are we doing? And are we really showing them this is objectively true and different than other religions and that it's not just this prolistic, you know, everyone goes to heaven and how they want to worship God. Yeah, students need to know that and see that it's real and that it's true. Because I think there's a, there's a study a few years ago called Soul Searching. And it's a little bit dated, but I think the point applies where they said kids will say religion. I think the study was 67% of students said spirituality is very important in their lives. But then when they flip the question around and ask students first, what's very important in your life? Guess what almost never came up? Religion and spirituality. Hmm. So Christian Smith in the book, he said, religion is important to these kids in the religious sector of their lives. Where religion belongs helps me cope with life, gives me meaning, gives me purpose, but it's not something they think is objectively true. Wow. Well, how can something transform the way you actually live if you don't think it's objectively true. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Well, thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. In the last couple of minutes, um, I know that uh, you're going to be involved with uh, the Cross-Examine Instructor Academy for the first time this fall. Um, you're also very involved here at Summit California. You know what? I don't know how to really put this, but what, what do you want to say about Summit California? You know, why you just have a passion for what's happening here right now these weeks that we're here? Sure. I sat down with, with Jeff Myers, president of Summit, I think probably three or four summers ago because they've been doing Summit for 50 years. And, and I just said, what would it take to get a Summit in California? And he had already been thinking about this. Mm -hmm. And my vision was, and it's his too, what if we could have 500 or 1,000 plus students from the Southwest coming through every summer on Biola's campus. Hopefully it'll stay here, but wherever we host it, they get the best training that Summit offers, how we know the Bible's true, how we know God exists from Jay Werner Wallace, leadership from Jeff Myers. And you go down the list, you know, Islam from Alan Schleeman at Standerees and Brett Kunkel, Greg Kunkel, all Eric Tonis at Biola, Tim Muehlhoff, these outstanding communicators to speak truth into their lives. We can make a real difference in the confidence of these students. So I would love to, if you're listening, you're a teacher, youth pastor, at least come by for a day or two and watch it. Mm -hmm. And I think you will walk away. If you don't know what Summit does, when I first really saw what they were doing with students, I was sold. And I realized that there's certain things I could tell my students in a classroom, but getting them outside of a classroom, other experts speaking into their life, 
on a college campus surrounded by other students who as a whole really care about thinking as a Christian, that can be a game-changing experience in the life of many students. So if you're listening to this, partner with me. Yeah. Come by, support us, bring some students, spread the word. This could be a game-changing experience for the church. Yeah, every student I talk to is just blown away hmm. at what's happened the last two weeks here at Summit. So hmm. they love it. Oh, they good, really do. good. They really do. Awesome, Sean. Well, thank you so much. I really do appreciate sure. you taking the time. Where can people find uh, more of your information? Probably the easiest is just seanmcdowell.org. Yeah. I'm on Twitter, and I don't just waste people's time. I try to put really helpful, insightful articles, resources, conferences to keep people kind of in the loop of stuff going on, either apologetics or students. Um, I've got a ton of free articles on there. got links to a number of different books that might be helpful on there. Um, so you have videos that come out. I have videos a lot of. Uh, I had a teacher recently. He's like, I just kind of show your videos or parts of my students. That's my curriculum. Fine, if it helps. I do a weekly two-minute video, just kind of a quick answer to a tough question. But then I have longer lectures that are on there that people have used as well. So check it out if that's helpful. Then uh, more power to you. Awesome, Sean. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, you're welcome, Ryan. Keep up the good work. Awesome. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. I hope that you enjoyed uh, this discussion and just the reasons why we need to teach apologetics to students. Check out Sean's information. Check out the other podcasts. Uh, this is the beginning of a series. I'll have Jay Warner Wallace on next week on how to train students and then other people that have incorporated apologetics in their church and how they did it. So make sure you stay tuned. This is Ryan Polly with Coffee House Questions. It's a mystery.